morning. My name is Kyle Porter, and uh, you're not going to believe this. John McHale got sick again, so we're, no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke for people that were here last week. Uh, I wanted to introduce uh, our preacher today, Sam Chaco, uh, who is the lead teaching pastor at uh, Lost City Church. And Lost City has been uh, just such a kind church, and Sam has been such a kind person to uh, Mosaic over the years. Yes, kids, if you are going to Mosaic Kids, you guys can head out. Um, but I wanted to introduce Sam and, and just thank him uh, for being here. Uh, Loft City and Sam uh, are both um, just, Loft City is a church and Sam is a person that just cares a ton about the city of Richardson, uh, about the gospel, and about planting more churches uh, in Richardson. So uh, Sam's going to preach on Psalm 121 and uh, yeah man, we, we appreciate you being here today. I need to get my church to do that when I walk up. That's <laughs> never happened to me before. It is an absolute joy and delight this morning to be here. Um, on behalf of Loft City and myself and my family, um, we can't tell you how much we love Mosaic Church and how grateful we are that we're in the same city proclaiming the same Jesus and praying that our city would know, love, follow, pursue Jesus, and so we're grateful that um, you're here, we're grateful that we get to serve Jesus together, and we're grateful for all the ways that we've had opportunities to minister together, and so it's a joy to be here. Um, a little bit about me, I grew up in the city of Philadelphia, where it is the greatest football team exists, um, and, um, and came, been in Dallas now for 18 years, we planted Loft um, about 10 years ago, and um, been married for 18 years. My wife is the reason I'm in Dallas, and we've got three kids. Our oldest is a junior, our middle one is a freshman, and our youngest is going into third grade. And so um, I've been serving at the church for the last 10 years. We planted 10 years ago. And I also have the joy of serving with an organization called Stadia. Stadia is an organization that is planting churches and helping churches get planted throughout the world. Um, They've planted now um, 500 churches in the last couple years, and I've got the joy of pastoring, coaching, consulting pastors as they get ready to launch, and so to see the gospel advance and flourish, and see the gospel go into hard places of the world, and um, people that once did not know Jesus become followers of Jesus, and so God is doing incredible things in the world. Um, it's often easy for us to look at what's going on in our nation and say, God, where are you? But then when you see what God is doing all over the world, it's just, and it's just refreshing. It is a joy of like, God, you're moving, you're working. Um, and even our prayer the last several days is, would you give us that faith and dependence and trust that we see in places all over the world? And so for me, it is a joy this morning to be here. And I want to just take a few minutes to share on a passage that has ministered to me a lot over this past year. Um, it is one that I have turned to over and over. And I really just want to talk about the topic, um, the subject, can I trust God? Can I trust God? Is the God that we sing to, is the God that we worship, is the God that we spend an hour to two hours on a Sunday morning, is he trustworthy? And there's a few reasons why I'm going to ask, um, dive into this. But we know that the entire Christian life is actually built on trust, right? We trust that God created everything out of nothing. 
We trust that God inspired men to write this book, and we trust that this is God's word for us. We trust that this is the authority that we as his children live by. We trust that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. We trust that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus as a substitute for our sins, so there is no more deeds than works that we have to do to earn God's acceptance and favor. We trust that Jesus rose from the dead. We trust that the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. We trust that because the Spirit lives in us, that he empowers us to be all and do all that God has called us to be and do. And we can go on and on and on, but the entire Christian life is built on trust. Here's a second reason why I think this topic is so important for us, even this morning, is it is only when we learn to trust God that we can truly find rest. It's only when we learn to trust God that we could truly find rest. We're going to come to this in a minute when we look at Psalm 121, but let me say a couple things. I think a word that describes a lot of us, maybe not you, but me, is the word restless. Restless. And one of the reasons I think especially that's true, especially for me, is that as much as I wish I was in control of my life, the reality is I'm not. As much as I wish I could dictate how things would go in my life, I'm not. I'm not in control. And friends, neither are you. And until we realize that, or the sooner we realize that, the better we will be. Someone once described life as this huge curtain that's draped across our path, and the curtain recedes as we move forward, but only one step at a time. What a great description of life, and it's biblical. Proverbs 21 says, we don't know what a day may bring us. You and I have no idea what could happen to us as we walk out the doors of this building. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. We have no knowledge and we have no control over them. But as a follower of Jesus, we know who does. And we can trust the one who does. In fact, in Scripture, the one thing that you'll realize is that trusting and resting, they're inseparable. Because when the Bible talks about rest, it's always in the context of trusting God. That's why in Psalm 42, David would say, turn your heart to God, pour your heart out to God, for he is a refuge to us. Literally, that word refuge means a place of retreat, a place of rest. It is only when we learn to trust God that we can truly find rest. I don't want to speak for anyone else that's here, but as a guy who struggles with restlessness, I need to be reminded that my restlessness goes back to my lack of trust in Jesus. And here's the third thing. It's very practical. It's very honest. Trusting God is one of the hardest things we'll ever do. It's incredibly hard. I'm about to be 45, and I've been pastoring now. We're in ministry for almost 20 years, and been a student of God's word much longer. Son of a pastor, grandson of pastors. I grew up in that home where the Bible was drilled into my heart. I can quote you chapter and verse that tells you that God is good. I can quote you chapter and verse that talks about how God is in control. I can quote you chapter and verse that tells you that God cares for us. And I can tell you all these things, but I'm smart enough to know that there is a major difference between preaching about trust and actually trusting Jesus. There's a major difference between counseling someone to say, hey, trust God in the middle of your situation than actually trusting him when things are hard in my own life. I understand that, and yet this is why this is so important for us to get. And as difficult as it is to trust God, one of the things that makes it easier for us to trust God is when we have an accurate view of who this God is that we are called to trust. This is why A.W. Tozer 
was right when he said that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's so true. What comes to mind when you and I think about God is our view of God. It changes and affects everything, especially how we live our lives. So it's only natural when we talk about trusting God, we begin by asking, can I trust this God? And this Psalm, Psalm 121, if you would take your Bibles and turn there, Psalm 121 is um, a Psalm that answers this question so beautifully. It's, it's a Psalm of, called the Psalm of Accent. It's, um, and it's a psalm that's written as people are in this journey. As we transition to this psalm, let me just cut to the chase and let me make this statement. If there is a single thing in your life or my life that occurs outside of God's sovereign control, then you and I cannot trust God. If there is one thing that happens in your life or my life that's outside of God's control, then we're just wasting time this morning. If there's something that God says, man, I did not see that coming, friends, let me encourage you, then you should not worship this God. If there's something that surprises him, if there's something that catches him off guard, then we can't trust him. So what we're really getting to at the root of this question is, is God sovereign? Is he in control? And we're asking the question, is God really in control? So look at me, Psalm 121, verses 1 through verse 8. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm is one of 15 psalms that is known as the Psalms of Ascent. This psalm is a song that the people would sing as they would journey to Jerusalem for their worship. Now, anytime a Jew would ascend to Jerusalem for worship, they always had this sense of anticipation, but there was also this sense of trepidation. There was anticipation because they were going to worship. They were going to be in the holy place. They were going to be at the temple. They were going to worship God. They were going to enjoy God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's love. But there's also this sense of trepidation because they never knew what would happen, what would occur. And so as they traveled through this mountain, things could happen to them. They could fall and they could get hurt. They could be attacked by wild animals. They could be robbed and beaten and killed by bandits and that lived in the mountains. And so even though going to Jerusalem for worship was filled with excitement, it also carried with them a little sense of fear. And that's what the psalmist is saying in verse 1. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. I see Jerusalem at the distance, but where does my help come from? So he knew his destination. He knew where he was headed. He knew his final place. He just was a little unsure of what was going to happen from point A to point B. As followers of Jesus, we know our destination. We know God's plans and purposes for our lives. We know what our ultimate destiny is, but it's the journey that's a challenge. It's the walking from point A to point B that we don't know what's going to happen, so he acknowledges that and he understands that for me to get from point A to point B, I need some help. 
We have this tradition in our family that was passed on to our parents where when we go on trips, we did it this morning when we left for church, um, we got into the car and we, as soon as we sat down, we just paused, we prayed and said, God, as I drop my kids off at Loft and as I drop my wife off at Loft and as I come here, would you protect me from as I drive from getting from point A to point B. Now, we don't do that all the time, like when we're going to Walmart or stuff, but especially on long-distance trips, we always pause and pray and say, God, would you watch over us? Because we know where we're going. We just don't know what's going to happen from here to there, and so our lives are in your hands. Ultimately, you've got to take care of us. So what we do is we get in the car, we pray, and then we take off. Look at verse 2. My hope comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I already, answered, I already said that the psalm answers the question, can I trust God? And the reason I think the psalm answers that question, because this psalm teaches us several truths about God, several reasons of why we can trust him. And so as we walk through this for the next few moments, I just want to point out three things from this psalm to you. Here's the first one. One of the reasons that you and I can trust God is because God is our creator. So there's nothing too big for him. God is our creator, so there's absolutely nothing too big for him. There are two truths there in verse 2 that are mentioned that speaks volumes about who God is. The first, there are actually fund- foundational, fundamental truths. God is personal. God is powerful. He is personal and he is powerful. My help comes from the Lord. This is literally Yahweh. This is not only the most holy name of God, it's the most personal name of God. And it points to the fact that God loves his people, that God wants a relationship with his people, that God wants to be involved in the lives of his people. See, there's this common and growing view of God today that God has maybe created everything, but he's just sitting out there and just watching and not involved. But friends, if you read scripture, you realize our God is not just watching us. He's involved in our lives. He loves us. He wants to be involved in our lives. This is why he sent Jesus to this world, because he's a personal God. But notice he's also powerful. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Don't miss this. The God who created everything out of nothing, the God of Genesis 1 and 2, is the same God who wants to be our help. In fact, in this one verse, it points not only to God's willingness to help because he's personal, but also points to his ability to help because he's powerful because he's our creator, because he's all-powerful. There's nothing that's too big for him. There's nothing in this world that, they can throw, that the world can throw at you or throw at me that's too big for our God. And some of us this morning need to hear that because a lot of us, we have no problem trusting God for our eternal life, but man, do we struggle trusting God for our day-to-day life. But friends, you can't separate the two. If God has got your eternity, he's got you now, and you can trust him. See, one of the reasons we struggle to trust God is because God is not as big in our eyes as he is in the pages of Scripture. And you and I have to remind ourselves that that the God who helps is the God who creates. Therefore, there's nothing that's too big for him. A few chapters down in Psalm 124, verse 8, it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Again, there he is, personal and powerful. And before we leave verses 1 and 2, let me just point out just one more thing from this verse. Notice these are the only two verses in this text where it's written in the first person. In other words, the psalmist is talking about himself. He is preaching to himself, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my hope come from? My hope comes from heaven and earth. 
I forgot who said it, but someone once said, a lot of our unhappiness in life is a result of us listening to ourselves instead of us talking to ourselves. And I think that's so true. Because we listen to nonsense and garbage instead of preaching and reminding that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is present, that God is active, that God is real, that God is involved and present in our lives. So one of the things that we need to do as followers of Jesus is tell ourselves over and over and over that God is our creator. Therefore, there is nothing in my life right now that is too big for him. Here's another thing from this text. The second thing I want you to notice, God never sleeps. Therefore, nothing surprises him. God never sleeps. Therefore, nothing surprises him. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The word keep there is used in verse 3, is used six times in those eight verses. It's a word that's used to reference to God watching us, caring for us, protecting us. In other passages, it's like the eyelids that cover our eyes. It's a great imagery or portrait of God. That's why the psalmist says, psalmist says in verse 3, he's not going to let your foot be moved. Now, friends, listen, that doesn't mean there are times in your life that life will not, you will not experience heartache or trouble or hardships or difficulties because you will. Please don't read this text and think this is a promise that your life will be perfect without trouble. We know that's not true. What it means is that no matter what we encounter, we have a God who never takes his eyes off of us. He is consistently watching us. He never lets go of our hands. And he is always, always, always satisfying and sustaining us. We're going to come back to this in a second in verse 7 because it's developed a little bit more there. But look at why we can trust God. The second part of verse 3, he does not slumber. Translation, friend, God never dozes off. You and I, we cannot make it without sleep. We also know that we cannot make it if God slept. In fact, if you think about this, the only reason you and I can sleep at night is because we know that God does not sleep. But can you imagine if God took a break for an hour, the chaos the world would go through? If God said, hey, I need eight hours of rest to be able to function, we would not be able to sleep because we have no idea what would happen in those eight hours. The reason you and I can get good rest, the reason you and I can put our heads down on a pillow and be knocked out and sleep well is because we have a God that never sleeps that keeps his eyes on us even when we have no control over what's going on. His eyes are always open. He never takes a day off. He never gets tired. He never needs a vacation. He never takes a nap. And so therefore, you and I can. God has been consistently drawing me back to Psalm 127 that says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. In verse 2 of Psalm 127, it says that if you... In vain, it's in vain that you rise up early and it's in vain that you go late to bed to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil he gives to his beloved sleep. You and I can rest because God never does. And to drive that point home, the psalmist says one more thing. He says, listen, he who keeps over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And in some of the older translations, it says, behold. Or it says, um, Pay attention to this. This is important for you to get. This is like me telling my eight-year-old, listen, don't touch the fire on the stove or don't run into the street. You've got to listen to this. You might not like it, but this is important. The writer says, behold, 
This could save your life and save you from a lot of heartache in life if you listen to this. Listen, he who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. The combination of slumbering or sleeping means, friends, there's nothing in our lives that catches God off guard. You'll never hear God say, man, I missed that. You'll never hear God say, man, that just, that just went right past me. You'll never hear him say, wow, I never saw that coming. You'll never hear him say that because there's nothing in this world that catches him off guard and there's nothing in this world that surprises him. And there's no better example of that than God's people, the people of Israel. And despite all of the heartache and all of the pain and all of the struggles, God kept them. God watched them. He always watched over them and he never slept. And friend, if it's true of Israel, it's true of you and me. He's got his eyes on us. He never sleeps. Even when we feel like he's not there, he's watching, and he's protecting, and he's taking care of us. You and I can rest because God never does. Many of us are restless, and the chances are it's really a trust issue between us and God. If that's where you find yourself, what you need to do and what I need to do is step back and remind ourselves is that I don't have to worry, and I don't have to be anxious, and I don't have to be restless because I have a God who said he would supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I don't have to be restless because I can trust God. I can go to sleep at night and lay my head on my pillow and actually rest because God never sleeps. Last point. Here's the third thing that Psalms teaches about God. God is always at our side. Therefore, nothing will touch us unless God allows it. God is always at our side. Therefore, nothing will touch us unless God allows it. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. This is my favorite part of this psalm. One of the things that God has taught me over and over in my Christian life and in my journey, one of the things I need to be keep reminding myself over and over again in my journey is that I can endure anything. I can endure anything. I can endure anything if I know that God is in it and that God is for me. I don't care what life throws at me. I can endure it if I know that God's right there in it with me and God, God is with me in it. Look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at a right hand. What an amazing imagery of God right there. A shade at your right hand. God is a shade at your right hand. Think about that for a second. For something to provide shade for you, it has to be big and it has to be close. For it to be a shade, it has to be big and it has to be close. That's our God. He's big. And he's close. He's a shade at our right hand. But also, he says he's at our right hand. That means it's a place of favor, a place of strength. This was reserved for a champion, a warrior, a savior. Someone's right hand is symbolic of being very close, indispensable, useful for that person. That's who God is for us. That's a picture of our God. God is a shade at our right hand. He's saying, not only is God big enough, and not only is God close, and not only is our Savior, but he's the God who fights for us. We sang that this morning, didn't we? God fights for us. God fights for you and fights for me. This speaks not only to the fact that God is personal, and not only to the fact that he's powerful, but he's also present with us. Psalm 16, 8, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Romans 8, who God is for us, 
who can be against us? Friends, God's presence in our life is a game changer. Because not only does it tell us we're never alone, but it also speaks to the reality there is nothing that can happen to you and I unless God allows it. And this is where, where verses 6 and 7 comes in. It says, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. What, does this mean that this guy is not going to get sunburned on his way to Jerusalem? Probably not. Does it mean that he's not going to get attacked? Maybe not. That's not what the psalmist is saying. Instead, it's a metaphor that's saying that because God is by your side, because God walks with you, you and I have nothing to fear by day or by night. It's a promise. It's not a promise of the absence of trouble. It's a promise of God's presence in the midst of trouble. Psalm 46, God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. That verse bothered me for the longest time. I'm like, oh, God, if you're with me, there shouldn't be trouble. But God says, I'm going to be a very present help in the midst of trouble. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of that, what, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. See, this is a promise of God's presence. It's a promise that there's nothing that can touch us unless God allows it. This is friends, where we have to settle in our minds as followers of Jesus that God is either sovereign over everything or he's sovereign over nothing. Either things happen to us apart from God knowing and apart from God allowing or God knows it and God allows it because he has a greater purpose for our lives. And this is a thread that runs throughout Scripture, that nothing can happen to you and I unless God allows it. Does it include the loss of a job? It does. Does it involve a pandemic? It does. Does it involve being hurt by a friend? It does. Does it even involve a bad report, a health report? It does. Nothing can happen unless God allows it. Let me be the first to admit that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. It really is. But if we really believe that the Bible teaches that God is good, that God is sovereign, and that he makes all things and he uses all things to make us more like Jesus. If we believe that, then we could trust that if he allows it, then he has a purpose behind it, a purpose for our good, that to be more like Jesus and purpose for his glory. Psalm 2130, and Proverbs 2130 says these words, there is no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel that can succeed against our God. Think about those words for a second. There is no plan of man, no plan of anyone or anything. There is no insight, no wisdom, nothing that can succeed against our God. In fact, let's take it a step further. There is no wisdom, there is no insight, there is no plan that can separate you and I from the presence of God. Nothing. Verse 7, I'm almost done. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Literally, he will keep your soul. I love what this says about God. It says that God has you and I in such a way that there is nothing or anyone that can pry us out of his hand or move us from his presence. Again, it speaks to God's willingness and his ability to preserve us. Listen, friend, what God started in you, he is faithful to finish. He's faithful to bring it to completion. So if you're currently struggling or you're wrestling or wondering where God is in your life, please hear this. God has not forgotten you. God has not left you. God hasn't gotten too busy for you. Hang in there. Keep trusting him. He's got you in the palm of his hands. Remember these words from Jesus in John 10, one of my favorite passages. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. No one. Friend, if you have a relationship this morning, 
with God through Jesus, you can rest knowing that God has you in his hand. That means you and I can trust him. And that brings us to verse 8. Verse 8 sums it all up to us. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. The phrase there, going out, coming in, is a figure of speech that says that wherever you go, whatever you do, from now until eternity, friend, you have a dependable, reliable, trustworthy God. A God who's our creator, so there's nothing too big for him. A God who never sleeps, so there's nothing that catches him off guard. A God who's always by our side, therefore nothing will happen to us unless God allows it. I started the message this morning earlier by saying that if there's one thing that happens in your life and my life outside of God's control, then we can't trust him. Here's how I want to end. After walking through this psalm and what it teaches us about God, I am confident that there is not a single thing that can occur outside of God's sovereign control. Therefore, you and I can trust him. What more clear evidence of that than in what we're about to celebrate in communion? That while we were still sinners, when we had no hope, when we were doomed for destruction, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. And if he was willing to send his son for us, why could we not trust him with the rest of our lives? Let's pray. Father, it's easy to talk about trust. It's hard to actually trust. And so we need your help. We need your grace. Would you daily remind us that you're our creator so there's nothing that we're facing today that's too big for you? Would you remind us that you never sleep so there's nothing in our lives that happens that catches you off guard? And you remind us that you're right by our side so there's nothing that happens in our lives without you knowing it and you allowing it. God, help us to trust you. Would you help us to lean in you, even when it doesn't make sense? We thank you for your word this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.